Welcome to the Flux podcast. I'm Jim. And I'm John. Flux is an organization helping our humanity to thrive by liberating people and organizations for human and commercial benefit. We've got a bunch of different projects running and we're going to document them all on this podcast. This is the first episode in our Democracy Squared series. Democracy Squared is a research project and book asking the question, what if the internet had been invented before democracy? It's published by Flux and written by me, John. And edited by me, Jim. And we aim to create a starting point for new models of governance using technology. The book is built around a series of in-depth interviews with innovators from across the world. We're going to share those interviews on this podcast. First up is Finna Magnusson, the de facto CTO for the Icelandic crowdsourced constitution project. John, you interviewed him, right? Yeah, um, this is possibly the most famous example of evolved democracy and citizen participation the world's ever seen. Following the country's dramatic financial crisis, some Icelandic citizens started what is perhaps the most ambitious attempt at neo-democracy the world's seen to date, to crowdsource a new constitution for the country by allowing anybody to join the process and sharing results with 100% transparency. The result was a constitution accepted by 70% of the nation and deemed by many to be enlightened. Unfortunately, the result was also an odd and obvious example of political gaming, as the constitution was halted before it became law. But with new elections coming up, it seems the world's first crowdsourced constitution could well be about to be made official. I was lucky enough to interview the CTO of this project and unpicked the process, trying to extract the principles and elements which could provide us with some tips and tricks for what the future of governance could look like. We'll take a look at the lessons from an amazing experiment in participative democracy. Awesome. Let's hear what Finna had to say. We moved back to Iceland just as the financial crisis was uh, happening. So... I uh, came back to a, a very, very kind of treacherous situation. And there were some grassroots movements that I, that were meeting kind of planned or sporadically in, in Iceland. Uh, one of them was kind of the Ministry of Ideas, which was a group of like-minded people that were coming from startup companies and maybe had a technolo- technology background or something like that. And they they were interested in how can we kind of quickly get past this uh, financial collapse and, and reboot the company. No, they, not the company, the, the country. Um, and this movement was one of grassroots uh, kind of uh, group of people that was combined by one of our ministers to, to set up a, like a, a, an event. So Iceland has the oldest parliament in the world. Vikings used to gather in in uh, Thingvellir, our national parliament place from all over the country, and, and they they made the law and they they you know had discussions about the future of the country, etc. So so we we want to kind of um, do a big crowdsourcing event around kind of the future vision and values of the country. How are we going to rebuild Iceland after the financial collapse? And I, I took part in that, uh, kind of developing that process and the, the kind of the technology side of inviting 100, no, 900 people to, a, to an auditorium 
collecting all of the thoughts live during the event and uh, using online tools to also broadcast the, the crowdsourcing event to the, the internet and, and collect all of the, the thoughts in, a, in some sort of a comprehensive result. Um, and then later we, we had a new government and a new prime minister uh, who was very keen on creating a new constitution. So start work for a new constitution. We've had the same constitution since we got our independence from the, the Danish crown. And the Icelandic, the current Icelandic constitution is mainly uh, the Danish one, which was written for a, a monarch with slight adaptations through the years, but it hasn't changed much. So, so Iceland never got its own constitution. Johanna Sigurðardóttir, who was the Prime Minister at the time, she wanted the constitution to come from the people. So she was interested in uh, repeating this, this crowdsourcing event, but with a focus on, on the Icelandic constitution. So some of us that took part in the first event, we, we were kind of recruited to do another one. And this was a truly random sample from all over the country. People spending one day brainstorming about the, the constitution and then there was the, the constitution council and they needed the CTO and I, I kind of volunteered for, for that position. So I was a, also part of the, the team that kind of created that process with the aim to have a truly open and transparent uh, process for writing a constitution in modern day of age using all the technology available to us. And yeah, that's that's kind of the the short story of, of how I how I got involved in the, the constitution process. So it seems like the whole process was quite uh, organic. Yeah, and um, the prime minister really picked up on it and then jumped on that movement, using the work that they'd done in order to do something bigger and crowdsource a constitution for a whole nation. Or the new government, you know, they they were quite keen on on getting a constitution written by the people, for the people. It's, a, it's like they often say in the US. Now, we, we've had numerous attempts for uh, revisiting the constitution, but we have a very strict uh, clause in the current one where they, a new constitution needs to go through two parliaments. So effectively, it's take, it, either it takes eight years or you, know, you need to split the government and have a new election. To, so it's a very strict clause to, to update the constitution. So. They wanted to take a totally different approach and based on the, there was like this pots and pan revolution where people took to the streets and, and protested and they, yeah, we had a, a shift in, in politics. So from right-wing government for the last 16 years to a left-wing government. And yeah, they, they wanted to do this, you know, they wanted to activate this as many people as they could in, in the process. So they've been asked to run this process again at a bigger scale and we wanted to know what they actually did. Mm. So what, what is the process? How did they crowdsource this? So there was a lot of, so uh, there was a group uh, called the kind of the, the Antil movement. Uh, so it's just people that, that set up the first uh, crowdsourcing event. Uh, we sourced inspiration from you know, companies like IDEO and, and other kind of design thinking policies and 
what we did, we actually did like an iterative process where we came up with a, a, a script, like a full day script. And we, we did small meetings with maybe 20 or 30 people. And we repeated the process numerous times. Um, to get, it's like the idea was to get a, a totally random sample from the nation. And we started out with broad concepts, almost like warm up brainstorming exercises to get uh, vision and values. And so, you know, everyone thought about, you know, what, what do you believe should be the values of the Icelandic nation? And everyone wrote down their ideas and you went around and you uh, explained your idea. And then we had dot voting and things like that. And we had 10 people at each table and each table nominated their top ideas. And then we had runners. So we had basically 100 tables with 10 people on them. And we had trained facilitators at each table. And you had runners that collected all of those uh, tickets from each table and ran to the computer lab where we had, I think, 20 or 30 people just typing it in as quickly as they could. And we fed that into a system and we projected like a word cloud with the the first 15 minute break. So then there was this magic moment where people said, "Hey, this is this is uh, this is what we just decided." And they, and then we went on and we started talking about different themes and we then started, you know, working on on kind of more complex ideas and and everyone ended up you know, submitting all of that data. And the data was captured and typed in as we went. And just as an example, I'm, I'm looking up the website. This is still into 2009, this is 2009. You know, honesty uh, or heiðaleikin in Icelandic was, was by far the, the biggest word in the, in the first session. Then you had respect, equality, and justice. And this was, this captured the, the atmosphere in 2009, one year after the, the collapse, it was like people felt betrayed and they wanted to build a new society based on honesty. Um, and then we talked about themes. It's like, where should we focus our efforts in the, the next years? And it was education, employment, uh, the environment, prosperity, uh, sustainability and family were kind of the, the main themes they want to talk about. And then we created like a future vision based on this. And and during the meeting, you know, after each session, you had runners coming in, typing in the data and kind of feeding it back into the meeting and also online. So we came up with this structure. It's actually a, a very nice brainstorming structure. And we've, we've done this after these meetings. We've done it like with uh, search and rescue and, uh, and some companies just wanting to capture the, the kind of the atmosphere and, and create a vision for a, a group of you know, 100 to 1,000 people. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty innovative process, and it's, it's based on a lot of ideas, design thinking ideas and brainstorming ideas, but compiled in a, into a flow that, that works for, for a very large audience. And, and we did the same for, for the the constitution, but then it, it was more focused on, it's like, what should be the, the content of the constitution. And we actually worked with some of the startups in Iceland that could do 
like language processing to distill the the core content from the the uh, copy, you know, from the tables in the meeting, and uh, like the themes for the constitution were equality, democracy, again honesty, human rights, justice, respect, freedom. Those were kind of the high level ones from the first session, but then um, we had. We have like a mind cloud. I'll, I'll send you the link so you can include this. It's all in Icelandic. But there were, for instance, some themes that um, evolved during the day. For instance, that the constitution should be written in a language that everyone could understand. There was, you know, this concern that Icelandic law is not maybe very easy to read for for all the all the people. So, you know, they wanted the constitution to be written in a language that that everyone could understand. That it would wasn't a, a complicated legal document that you needed to have interpreted for you. And there was was a lot of things, you know, stuff that is not in the current constitution about ownership of uh, national resources. So we we have a very rich uh, fishing culture, and it's a big part of our our income, but. It's roughly 10 families that control all of the fishing quota and people are saying you know this needs to be distributed more equally and we're also talking about access to our, our big country you know access to clean air and clean water and it's like can who owns the the national resources is it us or, or can it be sold and traded like a commodity things like that you know that came through and was then used as a as a starting ground or kind of the the basis for the work of, of the constitution council that was was then elected after this cool so they had a new crowdsourced constitution a bunch of data a bunch of information from loads of people and what was what was the next step so they they made a council who would take that forward to turn the data into a proper constitution. Cool, so we asked Finna what, what they did to set up that council. Yeah, we had a, a, an election where anyone could run. So um, that was uh, quite unique uh, as well. Uh, we So it was an individual election and um, a lot of people ran, so so a lot of people were actually interested in taking part in the council. And I, this is so many years ago, so I forget some of these numbers, but we had yeah we had hundreds of people that ran for the the council. Uh, but you had yeah it's thirty members elected, and. So, so they had this problem with they, they they didn't anticipate so many participants to take part in the in the election. Um, so they had to come up with a way to um, create uh, like the polls and, and how are we gonna sort this out? So they they used a single transferable vote method, which is has been used in Ireland and other places to so people create like a sorted list. They they can choose as many. Uh, uh, people on, on the ballot and and put them in an in an order and this is then calculated and you, and you get a get a result <clears throat> and 
the result was actually a, a very nice cross-section of the nation. You had uh, a priest and a couple of lawyers, mathematician, uh, you had the uh, board member of a, a big games company. There was some kind of, of course, you had some bias towards people that have been writing articles in the news, etc. You had a <clears throat> disabled person in a wheelchair. You had a, a young, uh, you know, from the young representatives. Um, yeah, and, and you had it was a it was a quite good mix, and and it it did, did seem to be influenced a lot by by political parties and as such. It was just a yeah quite a random sample that that was elected, <clears throat> but. I need to explain some of the complications because not everyone was happy with this work, and we had uh, so the so the High Court in Iceland. They, there was actually there were there were a couple of people that uh, they <clears throat> they challenged the election based on technicalities because the ballot was quite big. It was a it was a big you know a. A3 paper or something like that because you had to fit all of the, uh, the people on there and then you had to slide it into a, a ballot box and the someone uh, said based on Icelandic election laws if someone sees what you're voting uh, it's illegal so they they took it to the high court and said the, the election wasn't legal and the high court no, no one actually said that anyone had seen anyone else's vote and no one was challenging the uh, result of the election but the high court actually decided to to deem the election void and there's, there's lots of conspiracy theories and everything else around that just, just because of that just because the ballot was on an a3 sheet of paper yeah someone could have seen your ballot and and there has wow. been a lot of writing about this in, in past, but that you know the idea is that you know there's there, there's power struggle in Iceland about, you know, who, who controls the country. Is it the people who control the, the, the money or the, the fish or whatever? Um, and uh, this, this, this is the only, only example of, of, of such a, a ruling. But, but this, was, this was, yeah, maybe to trip up the process. But the, the parliament decided to go in with the pro on with the process anyway, but they changed all of the plans. So the plan was that this this group of people would be elected and they would work for a year, come up with uh, the uh, the constitution, and and they actually had a very um, very fixed process on, on how this was going to uh, uh, pan out, and it was uh, for people that are familiar with uh, software development. It was a uh, like a waterfall process. They should all go into a room and they should have commitments and they should do a lot of voting and, and discussions like that. And at the end of it, they would have a fully completed new bill to put forward for the people. But after the election was deemed void, there was kind of uh, a bit of an uncertainty. You had this group of people that had been elected, but then the election was void and no one really knew what to do. But uh, a prime minister uh, decided, or, or the government, they decided to continue 
but it wasn't the Constitution Parliament. It was, the, you know, it was the Constitution Council. Um, we got half the time to complete this, so they, you know, reduced it down to six months, and we could do it any way we liked, which was actually uh, quite a good thing because we had met, uh, so the group had already met up after the elections, and they didn't quite like the process that was suggested. They they wanted to have a more democratic way and more conversational uh, approach to this. Uh, like a, to reach a consensus, then rather have some three people that were nominated as, uh, you know, deciding factors in the, in the process and everything else like that. So, so this was this was kind of the the pivotal point that that provided an opportunity to do all of the innovative things that we we ended up doing, because the the group was really motivated to do a good good job. So we we decided. To sit down and, and think about how okay, we've got six months to write a, a new constitution, and they were kind of in the mindset to create a, a full new document. So we actually got in uh, uh, an agile coach from from CCP, which is a big online multiplayer games producer in Iceland, and the, the Constitution Council they created uh, like a tourist guide for Iceland. In, in three iterations during a day, just to get acquainted with agile methodology, and and this was one of the, the kind of the aha moments in the process. So we we decided to adapt like a sprints, weekly sprints, where we would work in groups, and every Friday we would take the results of our work and publish it, and then repeat. So rather than spending six months on writing one document and then putting it to the people, we would just publish the progress every week. And uh, I had some uh, input into deciding what the process was going to be, so I, I sat with the people that were kind of deciding how we were going to work. And uh, I had been doing kind of community management. I was working in the UK on, on building uh, uh, for, for the software company that uh, powers the, the Guardian online community. Uh, and you know, Sky and, and some other, it's a, it's a US company, so they, they were providing, uh, like commenting and voting and uh, social media solutions, it's called Pluck, uh, they were like a provider of social media services for, for media companies. So I had an experience in setting up and managing uh, communities. <clears throat> and as, as, the, as the parliament has had uh, suggested they want to keep the process really open and transparent and interactive with the nation. So I, <clears throat> I suggested that we, that we went all in and and we we would include commenting and uh, like interactive social media features on our own uh, council site, just to try to involve as many people as possible. And this was, you know, the initial reaction was uh, wasn't great because we had local media that had turned on commenting and, and the, the discussion was was far from uh, from polite or you know being contextual um, but we created like a like community guidelines which we, we used throughout the section and, and we we had very active community management with me and the PR person that was there and 
council members themselves took an active part in discussing the person and, and communicating through the website and, our, and Facebook and Twitter channels. So we decided to do this and and this was then picked up by you know Guardian initially and then Takrans and uh, all, of, all of the big media followed on and, and yeah it became the in the media it became the crowdsourced constitution even though I would say it, it was it was kind of it was collaborative but but we still had the the group of, of council members that that did most of the writing but but it was open and collaborative so anyone could chip in and and actually some of the ideas that were uh, conversed on, on the website made it all the way into the bill so this was a few years ago now what what happened after this whole process so the right-wing government uh, stalled the new constitution um, so they, they used a technicality which I think has only been used once in the history of the country uh, in order to stall the constitution. But now with the Pirate Party potentially getting in, this looks like it could change. Yeah, they, I mean, they were against some of the ideas in the constitution. They don't like the idea of, of for instance, the fish being owned by the nation as opposed to uh, the, the, the companies that that are supportive of their policies, if I can put it like that. I mean, this is this is just my opinion, but it's, it's a quietly white, uh, widespread belief. And, uh, the, these parties are, they, uh, you know, they like to maintain the current control of the fishing industry and also the the farming in Iceland. Those are kind of two of the uh, kind of um, important factions uh, in, in the country. And we have, for instance, a voting uh, policy such that if you live in the rural side of Iceland, your vote might count one and a half or even two uh, compared to the, the votes behind every uh, politician in the, in the capital area where we have 70% of the nation. So there are things like that that are kind of structured to maintain the situation we've had for, for many years. So, and, and these political parties have been against uh, many of the ideas in the new constitution uh, for a while. But there is still a very active group that, that would like to see this constitution go forward. And we have an election coming up uh, now soon. And it's going to be very interesting to see because we have the Pirate Party, uh, who's uh, they have around 26 to 30 percent following in the polls now. They had, I think, eight percent in the last election, and their their kind of main uh, point, their agenda is to approve the constitution bill and have a new election straight away to put it in motion. Just the new constitution bill as it was proposed, and we have have some other parties, new parties coming up as well. And when when we had the, the final, kind of the re release party of the constitution, uh, it was actually my guess it would take at least eight to 12 years to, to get the new constitution uh, into, uh, you know, being approved. And I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens after the next election. 
I'm curious to hear a bit more about Finna as a as a person. Like, what what what, what does he believe about this whole process, and what would what would he do differently next time? Yeah. So, um, what we did it's it's like for my my thinking. This is this is now what seven years ago. Um, my thinking since a, a lot has changed, but at that time, Facebook had just introduced their plugin to include comments and likes and such on on external websites and that could be translated into Icelandic so we, we could easily plug that into our site I, I was the only technical person you know on the staff and I had to work, come you know build a, a site to maintain all of this content I had a I had help from some uh, outsourcing partners but we we decided so instead of introducing thumbs up or, or likes for for uh, the the iterations of the the constitution we we went with comments so you you actually had to write you know, read through the um, the articles that were posted on the friday so you know come up with an opinion and and voice that in a comment in text and that text was cross posted onto your facebook profile and so you're commenting on the article and this uh, kind of uh, put light on the process and people were reading through it and, and they were having discussions and we had we had people from 16 year olds saying what or WTF or you know just commenting they, they didn't realize that it was all aggregated under this article about human rights uh, on, on the website necessarily but you also had you know 70 year olds uh, in the west of Iceland uh, having a just a very intelligent and civilized conversation about things like uh, sustainability and yeah separation of church and state and, and other things like that uh, so we we actually had very good dialogue around this uh, this work and and it was you know uh, was active but I've had the questions is like will this ever work in a in a bigger country so where you have millions of people how can you control this type of, of a dialogue? The thing is, it's like I, I would do things differently. I, w I would, so we, we only had six months to do this. This is quite a feat for you know, covering everything. You have the parliament and the president and the high courts and you have the voting and you know, national resources, I, everything, church and state. So, so we create a lot of content in a short space of time. Uh, I think we would have done much better if, if we could have had a couple of months for each chapter and we would have combined online and offline activities. So if we could have followed similar to what ITO has been doing on their website, they have a pretty nice flow where you can kind of replicate some of the crowdsourcing activities we did offline. You can do that online so you can collect ideas around a certain theme and you know, do some polling and, and votes around that, and then people can uh, go deeper. And, and then, you know, towards the end, you can collate all of that and, and create kind of the best version of, of a chapter, maybe. So I think with a, a slightly different process and a, and, and a bit more time, I believe, uh, you know, cross-section of, of people throughout the whole nation can be involved in, in creating something as important as a, as a constitution for a country. Um, because a lot of the content 
we got through was was just insightful, and we saw that people had spent a lot of time thinking about this. They we, we had comments from abroad as well, so we had experts uh, writing us in English, uh, you know, constitutional experts from universities around the world. Uh, we had like an ad hoc online community of of uh, of hackers, if you like, that were communicating about uh, access to internet as a part of the human rights clause. This was around the time where social media was being closed down, uh, you know, in, in, in countries in the, in the East, you know, based on their protests. And we, and we actually, we came up with a clause using like a wiki-style editing notepad. And this was submitted uh, as a proposal from the computer geeks and then the, the council member took it up and they, they created a clause that was you know, slightly slightly more toned down but uh, still it, it's, it's in there and it's, it's one of the nicer ones in, in my opinion. So, and yeah, you, I, mentioned, I think, you mentioned that wiki type clause. I mean one of the things that, that's popped up for me in my research is is this sort of hypothesis is it possible to have a constitution or or another sort of you know official and and important document as such uh, be a dynamic document for the nation to contribute to um yeah what, what are your what are your thoughts of that is that a, is that a way in which you think the world might be going where we govern ourselves might be going um i think so one of the things, so we had maybe, uh, I, I would have liked to have more participation. So if, if we had more time, I would have uh, maybe wanted to organize more offline events in order to maybe uh, reach out to the older generation and maybe people that, you know, were not aware of the process. So, so after the election was deemed void and everything else, uh, the national media wasn't as interested in the process. It, it became like a, um, just like a, a council, like a hobby for the, the government, as opposed to being this elected council that was going to, to make the new constitution. So we had, you know, out of the, you know, 300,000 people, we maybe had like 1% engagement. So maybe, you know, I counted, so based on my data, we had roughly 3,600 people uh, that actively wrote comments on the site. But we had uh, 40,000 uh, unique visitors, roughly. So, so the participation, it's like, I don't know, I don't know how many people you would uh, expect to take part in actually writing the constitution. Uh, and. I, I still believe you need at least uh, a process, but I, I'm not sure if you need to have um, like an editorial board or someone, you know, writers like the Constitution Council. I, I think it's, it would have helped us to get the Constitution approved if we would have included Parliament and uh, the, the legal uh, representation in Iceland more in the process because they they were kind of hands-off and i we, we particularly noted that uh, lawyers just didn't take part in the process because they thought you know this is this is a silly experience we're, we're the experts 
how can people write constitution where they don't have any legal background. So when it was completed, there was a group of, of lawyers that, that kind of wrote a series of articles explaining that, that people can't write laws, you need lawyers to write laws. Um, so, and then the same with parliament. So we had an, another election and because the, the new uh, government was not involved in, in setting up the process or not involved in you know, shaping the, the constitution, they maybe, it's like, uh, I wasn't included symptoms where it was like, it, it was more just uh, created by the, the 30 uh, elected members and the 3,600 people that, that commented on, on the document. So maybe it's like, yeah, you have you have a very nice document in, in many people's minds that, that was created by you know less than four thousand people that, that contributed, uh, and you had uh, a crowdsourcing event with a thousand people, so you never had as many people uh, uh, touch the process. It's like it's not just a group of. Um, uh, a small group of people that, that have been selected to, to complete the task, but I think you need, you still need uh, some sort of flow to go from very broad ideas, concepts and vision into having a finalized text that any everyone can agree upon. So I, I believe such a process could be uh, designed using technology without necessarily doing the election. But it, it needs a bit of time, and it needs it needs uh, maybe facilitators or moderators that, that make sure that you're engaging with uh, a lot of people in a lot through a lot of channels, because otherwise you might end up with a very loud minority taking over the writing and the and the moderation process of the, of the whole. Keen to get the information we needed and do do the research we need to do for the book, um, we asked Finno a question that we've been asking all our interviewees, which is, what does a future of a country look like? What does the future of democracy look like? This is what he had to say. Um, I mean, Iceland is is the ideal platform to test new ideas like this. It's uh, it was we were just a t small team of people that were you know hired to set up this process and, and we had 30 people elected and basically we got free reigns to do whatever we liked and we we just there's a I don't know there's a tendency here just to test it out and if it fails we just try it again and we have very high computer literacy we have 90 some percent of the nation on Facebook and you know using computers we have the highest penetration of, of broadband internet and highest number of mobile phones per capita, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, this, three, this pool of 330,000 people, it's, it's the ideal test bed to make experiments like this, uh, yet on a small scale. And I am, I am very excited to see what happens in the next election. If, if the Pirate Party will get a position to, to, into position to create a new government, what they've been doing is they've been taking some of these ideas and, and taking it even further. They have an online voting process and they have a, so all of their policies, they, they go online and 
the the people that are running for parliament for the pirate party they they agree to represent the pirate party community as opposed to themselves and and they're challenging the norm of uh, you know the four year election period so you, so you make promises every four years and then you go and do something completely different and just in the last year, you, you make some adjustments and, and you, you make new promises. That, that has kind of been the, the cycle in the Icelandic politics. But they say, why, why only listen to the people every four years? Why, why don't we have an active dialogue and you know, ask people? So if there's, a, there's an important uh, item on the agenda, it's like we've, we've had a huge influx of, of tourism, for instance, in Iceland. This was something that wasn't on the agenda uh, in the last election. So, so why would we have to wait for the next election to, to vote on, on those things? Why not actively take part in the political process? So if you're so inclined, the, the Pirate Party is, is going to be using their online tools during uh, their terms just to, to have people vote on, on variety of things but not only vote but also try to foster like intelligent conversations and, a, and an active dialogue between members of parliament and, and the nation and they they have a big following now because it's a it's actually again it's a it's a, it's a mix of people from all classes and it's a very diverse and a, a strange party that, that has a very humane approach and and they want to just challenge the old system and, and, and use modern communication technology to, to have a more kind of up-to-date and dynamic process. In an active movement towards open data, we, we're actually lagging behind many nations, which is kind of weird because we have a pretty basic setup in, in, in this nation, but still, you know, we struggle with, with sharing data. So I think with information, I think we should have a dashboard that could have helped us prevent the collapse. I know you've been talking to Hjalmar Gislason at Click Kelly. He was one of the, the founders of the Ministry of Ideas, and we were, we were discussing that, like, we could have prevented the collapse if we just had a dashboard with the, uh, you know, the information about the financial market and, and everything else that would happen was happening in the country. But we don't have the data, right? So. That's one factor where technology can play in, so we, so we have an up-to-date view of what's happening in the country. Um, and based on that data, we, we should be able to make informed decisions. And, you know, as a group, you know, I, I, I firmly believe in, in the wisdom of the crowds. I think you have, if you have a diverse, large group of people, you can come up with the, the best ideas and the best decisions. And so, so yeah, by... Why just elect a handful of people and, and like in the current state here in Iceland, it's like it's mainly the, the ministers that control everything in the parliament. So really you only have like a handful of people that are making all the decisions and deciding where our focus is. But if you can, if you can distribute uh, this and yeah, make a, you know, come up with a system where, where we're focusing on the right thing based on data and based on the, the shared consensus of, of a large group of people, then I believe we, we should be in a very good position to, to run our countries.
in a better way. So then you asked him, uh, what does he think we need or a country needs in order to make change actually happen? I, I get, I still get many requests to, you know, talk about the process and I helped out with things, you know, Google Ventures have been helping countries like Turkey and Libya is now doing constitution editing and everything. So, um, I, I believe, you know, we, we had a, a fantastic journey and it was a it was a great experiment in, in how you can involve people in, in, in the, you know, write a constitution using modern technology. Um, but we're still way behind when it comes to actually uh, making things happen. It's like, you know, going from ideas to, to execution. There's a, there's a big disjoint there. And... Um, and what do you think we need in order to make that change happen? So, I think we need to make politics more human-centered. <laughs> I, I did a talk recently called Agile Human-Centered Constitution Design. Which is, so I, I'm in software development, I'm a product manager at a, at a fintech company here, so I, I work a lot with people. And my, my main focus is communicating so I I try to understand the the people that that use our product I try I, I have a lot of interviews and I, I make concepts so I'm help helping people understand their finances better so I, I I make a concept with my team and then we bring in people or, or we go out and we have a discussion with people and we, we see how do you like this uh, you know will, will this work for you is this of beneficial to you or, or things like that. So well, empathy, I'm trying to empathize with, with a wide group of people and try to understand their needs and, and what, what they want. Uh, but I believe that, that politicians have kind of lost, lost that connection to the people in the country. I, I, I think they don't do enough, you know, human-centered <laughs> design in, in the in the policy making and, and the decisions. I think they're they might be working for uh, either their own uh, ideas. It's like I know if I if I would build a software just for myself, no one else would be able to use it. So I think if you're writing legislation or if you're deciding where tax money should go, you need to have a very good connection to people in in the country and you need to have an active dialogue with with uh, the general population, and I think you know that's what we did in uh, sourcing the vision for the new constitution. That's what we did while we were actually writing the document, and there was a you know an election you know where this was you know people agreed that we should build our constitution on this, and then it went into parliament and they said no, and it's like with with all of this. It's like they're, they're creating a bigger gap between the nation and the parliament. And parliament is, is basically there. They don't have a lot of trust or confidence from, from voters at the moment. Then I asked Finna if he had any tips for people trying to undergo similar projects in other countries or any projects related to using technology to deepen our democracies. What would that advice be? Um, so I, I would 
yeah, I, I would focus on 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 like a human-centered design. It's a, and and agility. So it's a you need to think about just just basic things in in designing software and applications. It needs to be very easy to use and simple and understandable for general population. Uh, you need to utilize any channel of communication that is available to you. We used, we made our own YouTube clips and we were active on our Facebook channels and we used Twitter and we used any communication methods available. Um, and active kind of community management. The, in many cases, um, this is just left to the, the techies. It's like, oh yes, we need to have technology, so let's, you know, have a company come in and, and build some technological solution for us, and they'll just take care of it. But one of the key success factors for us was that if someone was asking a question or having a discussion about one of the articles on the uh, on the site, we had uh, like a closed group on Facebook where I could um, notify the council member that, that was most involved in, in the topic to go in and have that conversation. So when people noticed that, that it wasn't, you know, that, that it wasn't just the community talking amongst themselves, it was actually the council members were taking an active part in the conversation. And once we had examples where ideas from the community were being fed into the process and actually surfaced in the bill itself, this, this is the, the proof and the, the key to, um, kind of igniting further engagement in, in the whole online process. People need to feel that they're listened to, just like when you meet people in real life. You need to kind of simulate real life communications. People need to be heard. Uh, they need to have uh, an effective communication channel that you know isn't complicated for them. And you know they need to believe that, that their contribution, so if they're spending time contributing to the process they need to feel that their contribution is being valued and and that could actually have a, have an impact on the, the final decision or, or bill in this case and finally you were curious about uh, what change he thinks the whole process has actually made in Iceland yeah what's the impact that has had in Iceland and broader yeah I think uh, just, uh, there's always fear of, of the unknown. It's like, what's going to happen if we, if we do this type of, of exercise? It's like we, we were kind of fearless after the situation, you know, and then the, yeah, the, the setup that, that we went through it, it was like we, we went ahead with it and nothing bad happened. It was like, on the contrary, it was, it was a positive exercise. So. I think in many of these uh, scenarios where, where you have an old established institution like a parliament, there is uh, no people. People are afraid of, of trying new things. So yes, we've we've had. I, I've been taking part in, in many conversations and uh, both both with uh, you know government officials, but also in, in conferences on, on topics like these and. And I know, you know, like 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 in Turkey and, and a few other places, they they replicated a lot of what we did uh, in their own constitution.
constitution process. So I think it's like it's an example that, that has been used to to increase uh, kind of yeah the social influence in, in policy making. For instance, there, there are countries that have, have taken this much further in the recent years, like in Finland, they they're actually, you know, uh, creating sourcing bills and uh, voting on things that, that are taken to parliament and uh, end up, uh, you know, being passed as, as law uh, in the Finnish parliament. It's, it's amazing the stuff that they've been doing. So, you said touch base with uh, Tanya Aitamurto, she said at Stanford studying liberation technology and they've, they've been collecting examples like these and sharing it uh, with countries where the democracy is kind of being developed or reinvented at the moment cool yeah. nice guy yeah fascinating <laughs> as well right yeah, yeah. What were your what were your kind of takeaways or thoughts after the after the conversation? One of them was that uh, I mean, what they did is totally amazing, and it's it's the only real example of its kind. But yet, the processes that he described, I think, are actually, I mean, they're, they're processes I'm familiar with, and I think a lot of business consultants are familiar with. So mm. I'm surprised it's not been done before, actually. Mm. Mm. And actually, the. The use of technology isn't particularly revolutionary. It's just using social commenting and and wiki wiki technology to do a thing that it it wasn't originally designed for. I think that's where the innovation comes. And what seems really powerful is that they were very open with that. So they they kept the comments open on their Facebook, for instance, which is a small thing, but that allows a whole nation to get involved in the conversation. Um, so I think that's really interesting. The fact that it's it's that open and I think it could be even more open in the future. Mm. What I did know is how nice it is that they published it every week. Every Friday they would publish it to get feedback again. And that feels I mean that's literally like an agile sprint process mm. applied to the constitution of a whole country. Mm. Uh, speaking of publishing, John, this uh, interview is part of Democracy Squared, the book that we're writing at the moment. You can find out more about Democracy Squared on democracysquared.io, where there's also a transcript, a full transcript of, of the interview with Finna. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us, head to flux.am. You can also subscribe to the podcast, which is it's called Flux, on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And there's also links to that on flux.am. So expect um, more on, on the future of democracy and the future of organisations um, from us coming in the near future. See ya. Bye.